Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Pop our tops. Pop those tops. Hey everybody, hey everybody, hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Carnivorous oh. Couch, the podcast where we do a film a week from two film geeks. We're on our rhythm today. Are we? I, I, what do you think? I think I'm doing alright, I mean... Um, oh, you're doing fine. I'm trying, I'm trying out this video setup and all that, but uh, you users, you listeners, you will not see it until after I've got it just right. I put on my Incredibles hoodie for nothing. <laughs> Oh wait, it's comfy. Yes, and it's also going to get rather warm in here because we've got lights on and blah 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 and uh, cameras and da blah, blah. But you know, you know. Sorry, how Brady. It goes. The lav mic is clap clipped to your your sweatshirt. Now you're just going to have to deal. Oh, you're right. <laughs> okay, well, it's, it's a sweat lodge that I'm in now. I'm I'm doing like a sauna treatment. Indeed, and yes, this is Carnivorous Couch, where we do a film a week from two film geeks. You've got Brady. That's me. Not that you can see it yet. And you've got Rob. Hi, Rob. I see you. I see you. I, s- I, I see, see you, King. I see you. you <laughs> keep, keep doing it. And this week we did uh, The Party from 1968. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I was going to ask before we dove into plot. Do you have any experience with this guy, the director, Blake Edwards? No, I don't. I have, I have, I have no experience with him. Do you? I do. I've seen actually a number of his films. The thing he's most known for, and by known for, I mean he's done no less than nine of them, is the Pink Panther series. Oh, okay. So he directed Peter Sellers in other avenues. Uh, Yeah, no less than (laughs) ten times at least. Yeah, wow. That's a lot. Uh, Peter Sellers, to you at home who don't know, is Inspector Clouseau, who's a great comedic creation, the bumbling detective of the Pink Panther series. He's just Inspector Clouseau to you? Uh, oh, I mean, he's Dr. Strangelove. Yes, and the President of the United States of America. Uh, yeah, and, and Mandrake, the nice English guy in Dr. Strangelove. Three characters, right? Three characters. Yes. Ma- oh, Mandrake, yeah, the one who's uh, General Turgenson's assistant and so forth. All right, so we're going to get into plot, but I want to give a quick... No, the plot's easy, bro. He goes to a party, <laughs> hijinks ensue, and movie. It's true. <laughs> you really could just say that. Um, but I want to give a snapshot here of Blake Edwards. I forget if it was as the, uh, at the Oscars or the Golden Globes, but he was up there probably like a couple decades back now. He was accepting you know, an honorary, a tribute award. And kind of revealing snapshot into the nature of the man. As the people introducing him were wrapping up, he comes by in what I think is like a motorized wheelchair, which like whizzes by, he grabs the award, and like crashes into a wall. So if you need to know Blake Edwards at a moment and what his sensibilities are, it's that. It's that life is not serious and you shouldn't take it as such. Oh yeah, a very wacky man. He, you know, he, he kind of reminds me of, like, 
some of the humor that uh, Brett Herman would do in high school. Like, yeah, I mean, it's the humor I miss most as an adult. Uh, yeah, it's it's needed, right? It's, it's Well, very we just need the whimsical, like, screw what matters about what and, and this and that. Just, like, crazy shit happens, and then people do mm -hmm. things, and, and it, it was unexpected. And so you laugh, because that's what you do. Yeah. It's like the Marx Brothers. I miss that. I, I miss when everything didn't have to be a statement on everything, and... And sometimes things were just silly and goofy. I mean, very much like many things in this movie. I'm gonna say this. You know who I think is most in that lane right now are the Lego Movie guys. Like, yes. Like visually inventive playfulness, or you know, like uh, Landis when he made Blues Brothers, like that kind of thing. Like, you know, the fun of letting shit crash together. It's like smashing toys together. But when was the last time we had a Lego Movie? Ooh, 2014, 15? Yeah, okay. So those oh, are the wait, people... Oh, no, there have been others. I haven't seen them, actually. But those are the people who are best in it right now? Well, they're still doing so at it. At least two years removed, probably, though. They, they make other stuff. But yeah, we, we need more people of that ilk. Yes. I mean, Will, I, I said to you halfway through this film, The Party from 1968, uh -huh. which, is, which is what, what the podcast is about. Directed by Edwards. Yes. Uh, starring Peter Sellers and uh, also having... Um, uh, the the French girl got second billing, and you know her name. I don't. That's the thing. Shit. I didn't. I didn't actually recognize many of the names. We here. probably should have rec memorized the names that were on the poster, <laughs> at least for the introduction to the film. It's okay. We're professionals. We are professionals. We'll have Steve look it up. Oh, <laughs> pretty soon they're gonna know that I'm not talking to a guy named Steve. We'll oh look no. it up. This. We're going to have to do trickery. This is me on my phone. No, her name is Claudine Long Longer. Okay. Or Longer. Or yeah, I think the first one sounds right. It's like long with an Longer. E-T on the end. La Longer. Claudine Longer. Cla oh, yeah. Cla Claudine. Claudine. Claudine Longer. Longer. Okay. I think I did all right with French oh, did on the third iteration. You're good. You've been taken muzzy. Well, do you want to start as we do with the plot synopsis? Yeah, let me see. So, the film starts on the set of like an old kind of epic style, like Indian set kind of military movie. And they're doing like, I think uh, the Brits are marching and these Indian rebels are hiding behind the rocks. And uh, by the way, I do mean Indian as in from the country? Yeah, I, I figured they were a lot more... It was a lot more on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Than, uh, yeah. Not Native Americans. But, but yeah, I think it's probably the British... It's probably something uh, when the British are occupying their Indian colony. Yeah, I think so, because they say it's set in 1878, the right. uh, film they're that doing. That makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. it's like British Raj kind of yeah. thing. I, I claim India for Britain. That sort of, yeah. <laughs> I have a flag. Do you have a flag? <laughs> Sorry, we're doing Eddie Izzard because yes. we love him. And if you guys don't know Eddie Izzard, you should check him out. Oh, yeah, he's great. Uh, so <laughs> I'll put it at the bottom of the podcast. And I'm Eddie Izzard was mentioned in this episode. <laughs> I I'm suppose I'm giving away what you don't find out for a few minutes, which is that you are on a movie set and that this movie does not take place in a desert. I knew that from the get-go. Uh, I figured it out and pretty I, quickly. I have not seen this movie. Because so. I, knew, I knew it was set in modern, at the time, 1960s L.A. So I was like, okay. 
Well, I figure when he's shot and then he keeps trump or uh, bugling. Yeah, then then for sure. then you're, you're like, okay, so this is a movie, and then his own troops start shooting him. Ah, uh, yes, and then and then <laughs> then you know it's not only a movie, but you're reminded it's a Blake Edwards movie. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, they're shooting this thing, and basically this kind of non-established actor who they've gotten to play the small role of the Indian trumpeter in the battle scene. He goes off script and keeps playing the bugle. Um, and so his, the actors are supposed to be playing the guys on his side. They shoot at him. The director's tearing his hair out. He screams, cut. He's like, you, you can't do this. I hate this guy. We're over time, over budget. And it's like, it's okay, because the studio will be fine. We just need to blow up this fortress, do this demolition scene, and we'll, be, we'll have it in the can. And in Clouseau-like fashion, this actor, whose name is Hrundi, starts with an H, V. Bakshi. Hrundi Bakshi, yeah. Hrundi Bakshi uh, accidentally, while trying to tie his shoelace, puts his foot on the plunger for the dynamite and blows up the fortress before cameras are rolling. Yeah, this is the very early stuff where it's like Peter Sellers is like, yes, I will do the Peter Sellers thing. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll do the joke three times and keep doing it so that it's funny. And then my, my sandal laces come off, so I'll put it on top of the TNT det- detonator. The old style, like you've got in, yeah, in friggin' little, uh, cartoon. little plunger. You, yeah. You pick it up. Uh, it's like two sticks. Well, so I mean, I think you're pushing it down, and essentially you're just connecting two wires, but you have to go a long distance so that it's hard to do accidentally. Yes, and, and ladies and gentlemen, in a movie that is not what I would call particularly plotty, even though much happens visually, uh, this is like the biggest plot thing because it's to get us to the premise. So here's what happens. Hrundi is instantly fired by his director, and to make sure he's good and fired, the director calls the studio head and is like, I don't just want to fire this guy. Write his name down. I'll spell it out for you blacklist him please right make sure he never works in this town again yeah and of course so what does the producer do or the of yes. course hrundi did i say that right yeah uh, yeah that okay. sounds right hrundi um says does that include television <laughs> that's a great joke i that joke feels not the least bit dated because we're so nowadays debating like film versus television right um yeah good joke <laughs> <laughs> That's what that was the point my ears perked up in this. I'm like, okay, this this thing's got some nimble comic rhythm to it. So, uh, in writing down Rundi's name to blacklist him, the producer accidentally, because he's got a jumble of papers on his desk, writes his name on the guest list for his wife's uh, cocktail party that's being planned for that evening. Exactly, and he is going to go to that party and make good somehow. Oh, does he even know? I, I feel like he's he just gets apprehensive from the get-go. He's just like, if I can make good at this party and, and everything's good at this party, then maybe I can, you know. Yeah, that's true. It's like he, it's like that classic Hollywood thing of yeah. like one good party. You, yeah. you can it's, turn your it's reputation It's not stated around. that that's what he's doing, but you can tell by his trepidation and his fear yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff that's. I'm going to go to this but like you wouldn't go to the party of the person of the city who just fired you if you weren't trying to make amends and, and try to work it out yes yeah and he's generally a very polite and nice person if a bit clumsy yes uh, so he co- goes to the party now we're 
that that was the legwork to get us to the party, and now we will speak barely of plot at all and only of beautiful set pieces. Yes, I, I managed to at a certain point just just take down all the gags that that uh, Peter Sellers is involved in. Me and too. It was very refreshing. I'm like, I'm not gonna write like too much. I'm just gonna be like, what would I call this if I were making the DVD title menu? <laughs> I'm like, okay, this one is called, let's see, Waiter Drinks Scotch. Perfect. Yeah. So we can get into the individual gags later, but I guess let's just hit the, the big beats. Let's hit the big beats. Uh, which is, he wa- well, I mean, they introduce the characters. He walks in, and there's the shoe gag, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, the waiter offers him a drink, and... He refuses it, and so the waiter drinks the drink, and that's the introduction of this character, who is prominent. I thought it was just going to be a joke about, you know, a one-off joke. No, this waiter drinks uh, the, the refused drinks. Yeah, and then when they did it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, they might do the, the old rule of three on it. But thank goodness I loved it. They just went with it the whole movie. Yeah, I don't think they ever say his name, but his name is, I believe, Levinson. Levinson. And, uh, he, yes, he is a major character. He's a major character. He's almost my favorite character. It's I do like him quite a bit. I like him a lot. There's nothing like a hapless drunk who manages to not get fired, even though his <laughs> boss is so angry with him that he's literally throttling him. <laughs> Fine, I won't fire you. I'll just accost you. Because it's funnier. Exactly. Only if it's funny. So, yeah, the first thing that happens in a movie of mishaps is, yeah, he gets mud on his shoe, and he looks down, and... Uh, what I like is this character, though he's bumbling, like, wants to make a good impression. He's very like, oh, no, that, that won't do. I gotta try to wipe off my shoe. And he sees that this place kind of has, like, a pool that runs through it's it. It's a badass place, by the way. It's like, fit for any Bitcoin millionaire of today. Yeah, I don't know what what imposter won, like, Oscar production design that year, but I... This is like one of the greatest. Uh, no, set I bet you they just find somebody's. Ever. They probably found somebody's mansion that has all this shit. I'm sure there are mansions that have this. And and just like paid him paid him out and was just like, can we shoot a movie at your place? He's like, well, will you pay me half the budget of the movie? Yeah. No, we won't. We'll pay you a quarter of the budget of the movie. All right, and I get to say that you made this movie at this. Peter Sellers is in it. All right. Oh no, but you know what? <laughs> Hold on, I think I did enough research. I didn't do too much research. I just wanted to mostly figure out or remind myself what else Edwards had done. But I think this was designed on a set. Okay. Well, there's exteriors, so obviously there's somebody's... There, it had to be based on something. I don't know. We should have looked it up. Uh, yeah, and I'll get I didn't into this think later. we were going to have this conversation. Um, <laughs> the director who I think Edwards is most inspired by was also famous for building large, like very elaborate uh, sets of buildings. So anyway, what happens though is he tries to just dip the shoe in the pool to wash it off. It comes off his foot and goes floating away into the house. Well, yeah, it floats underneath a thing. And then he runs to the other thing and he sees where that goes and it goes down a little waterfall. And then it goes into somewhere. Yeah, it gets lodged on these like stepping stones that like because the, the river divides parts of the family room? Yes. So, I mean, it's like the Brookdale Lodge, but just a family room. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, and he's trying to, like, grab it with a, a potted plant's branch. And, I mean... Oh, that's great. He gets, like, a bamboo plant and, like, sticks it yeah. in the thing. But it, of course, flings it. 
and it goes <laughs> into the kitchen. Into the kitchen and lands on the hors d'oeuvre platter. <laughs> and then that's when the waiter comes up to him and says, "Would you like a drink?" And he's like, "No, I never touch this stuff." So the waiter drinks the drink, and then another waiter comes with the platter. And I love that they do this. It, it's perfect. It's like if it's good for the joke, people just don't notice fucking crazy shit going on. It's the best. Yes, that's that is something that has gone by the wayside in comedy, which should just. It should just be something that's plain as day for anybody to see, and every but everyone else should just act as if it's not happening, because it's better that way. Yeah, that see that's what's funny. The shoe gag. It's the second waiter coming out that has the shoe on the hors d'oeuvre plate, and there's the first guy in front of him who's just like not noticed somehow. He's just like, oh, just walk well, out. well, no, the guy with the shoe on the hors d'oeuvre plate has not noticed that there's a shoe on the hors d'oeuvre plate. No one has noticed. And he offers him an hors d'oeuvre, and he says, "Well, I'm on a diet, but." To hell with it. <laughs> takes the shoe. <laughs> it's a good joke. <laughs> it's great. Let's see. Keep keep it talking. Let's see. Well, then there's the whole thing where he's laughing to fit in. So he goes and, and here's the end of an anecdote and they're all laughing. So he's like, okay, this is what Americans do. I mean, like, the, the, the basis of the film at this point, and we'll get into this later, is essentially that, I mean, it was written, Peter Sellers goes to a party and he is a foreigner and he doesn't know what's going on. Correct. It Like, it... it probably didn't even have to be that he was Indian. It didn't have to, like, that's just what worked with the film they were making and so forth and so on. But yeah. it, it, essentially, he's supposed to be a good-hearted guy who just based on not being from here and not understanding the gravitas of the situations that he's in, hilarity ensues. Yeah, it's, uh, it's using the outsider to kind of come at this, like, insular Hollywood society um, in the 60s. And yeah, I, I like that bit too because uh, yeah, we this is what I'd call this DVD chapter is the end of a joke. So yeah, he <laughs> wanders into the end of a joke. That's he's like, oh, much more clever. I just wrote laughing to fit in. <laughs> like you're you're all laughing. I I don't know what the joke was, but um, it must be very wonderful to have you guys have this response to it. But then it has a good punchline because when they leave, then he's like, I'll have to remember that one. So it's like he's going to remember just the end of a, the punchline to a joke he doesn't know, which seems like a gentle like Hollywood criticism, too, of how to survive in these parties and these like elbow rubbings. It's like, well, I have the end of a joke. Maybe I can tell someone if I need to make a connection. Um, it's very silly and charming. Anyway. Uh, yes, so laughing to fit in is the next thing, and then, it, yes, he's laughing at the guy getting robbed, and, uh, the next one is Birdie Num Nums. Uh, yeah. He's just walking around, trying, trying to be casual, and he comes a upon a, a parrot in a giant cage for a single bird, by the way. Oh, it's big. It's, it's, bit in, it's big enough for a stripper. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, in a Scorpions video. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, oh, he also meets a, a Western hero who he idolized, a cow, a cowboy actor, who... Hand, shakes his hand and crushes it. Because he must. He must. He's, he's the uh, American guy. <laughs> and it, and it's funny because he's the cowboy actor and he's dressed, you know, with a giant belt buckle on this. But, like, everything about him is so flowerly, flowery. Uh, yeah. That it's, that, like, he's, it's almost not manly anymore. It's, uh, it's almost like an Elvis kind of comparison, right? Yeah, it's very Where it's flamboyant like Elvis manliness. Goes so over the top with, with the sparkling... Uh, yeah, the rhinestones. And yeah. That... You know, it becomes like, all right, well, your manliness has kind of just become super de decorative now. <laughs> oh, very. <laughs> yes. Uh, so there's that about the character. Yeah, um, he meets him, he's going to, and then, like, 
He's playing with the kid's dart gun. Uh, which yeah. I very much like that. Dark Gun in the first act has to come back in the third. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. That, very good, Rob. Yeah. And I like the line where he's like, I, I would have been disappointed if you didn't crush my hand. Yeah. <laughs> I also like how he avoids that one. Uh, he fires the dart. It lands right on the guy's forehead. And he's just gone and like across, hanging out by the pool. So that the guy sees him far away and he just kind of <laughs> waves from far away. Like, like, couldn't have been me. I'm way over here now. <laughs> It'd be like nowadays, like if you were a big fan of The Rock, you'd be disappointed if he just gave you kind of a gentle handshake. Right. Like, no, no, you get, live up to your reputation. And then he starts messing with the switches and relays that control all the movable bars and furniture. And, and the fireplace. And, and that also comes back in the third act. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and how. And how. And um, how. So he ends up knocking this telephone off, but then he runs to save the telephone, and then he's having this, there's a great physical comedy bit where he's having, um, it's the captain. This isn't the, is it, yeah, no, this is the captain. The guy who's throwing the house is the movie producer. They call yeah. him the captain. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, there's also a congressman there, and I was getting them confused for a little bit. Yeah. But he's more or less just pissed off that he has to have this, he's having this party to appease his wife. Right. And that's his character, and he's just like, I don't know, some, somebody, my mixed-up wife. <laughs> yeah, that explains <laughs> his ignorance. He's like, oh, whatever, I've seen like, weirder people than that. Look, I understand. I, I'm married, I'm in Hollywood, we've got this house and all this money. My wife needs something to do, she has to have a dinner party. Uh, <laughs> at least I get to invite my friends, and i got four guys to smoke cigars with for... I imagine this party only lasts about four hours, so <laughs> it'll be fine. Uh, yeah, so, so the switch controls the retractable bar, it makes the fireplace flare up, and uh, it causes... <laughs> it makes the, 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 the peeing boy fountain. Yeah, the peeing boy fountain. I've seen that fountain in, in the real fountain. Well, It's in Belgium. Oh, okay. And there are many imitations, because I've just seen the them in... boy. I've seen them in plop art in many a park. Uh, yeah, it's very popular. Uh, Fallon Hansen, when she went over there. Oh, wait, no. Or did I, no, I got it for her. I forget. But anyway, they make lighters out of them. Ah, uh, yes. Fall off. She shall be mentioned. Fal Fallon. I think I got Fallon a pissing boy lighter because I went there <laughs> after, uh, after I graduated high school. Yeah, there's, there's two small boys all over the place. In fountains, it's it's the boy with his finger in the dike and the yeah. pissing boy. The pissing boy. Yes. Quite right. Have we canceled the pissing pissing boy? <laughs> no, no. He's just a little kid. He he pisses at everyone. Okay, cool. Glad we can still have that one. Uh, Motion to replace the Calvin peeing on things bumper sticker with the pissing boy. Yes. Because it's it's much more classy. Much classier. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. So then what happens is, yes, the bar disappears, and I really like the bit where he's got the telephone, and he's putting the producer on the phone while also trying to grab all the drinks. And to what you said, where it's like, see, but this is taking it even further, because we've talked about already, like, characters to make it funny, not realizing what's going on, like the waiters. But in this case, you also have the humor of, like, even when people do see what's going on, maybe they're just trying to be polite, so they're not being an asshole about it, because this guy has caused all these drinks to fall. He's putting the producer on the phone, this big Hollywood bigwig, 
And then after all the nonsense, when he's finally got the drinks and put the producer on the phone, the producer's just like, thank you. <laughs> and it, it's like two minutes of shenanigans, and then the guy's just like, yeah, that, that'll be all. And then he goes back to the cowboy, and the cowboy crushes his hand again, and he's like, ah. So he goes to put his uh, hand in the ice bucket where they have put the caviar. Yeah. And now his hand gets, gets covered with caviar. And uh, then he finally meets the French actress, right? Uh, he does. As we said, she is played by Nicole... <laughs> Uh, no. Langer. Sorry. Claudine Langer. Claudine Langer. Langer. I cannot do... Langer. Langer. The, the only French name I, I could pronounce, I, I, I practiced because it was a, a friend at the Missouri Lounge Bar, Car- uh, Caroline. Uh, yeah. And so he goes to try to wash his hand, and there's a guy who's <laughs> like, pay his off. Skip your barroom crush, <laughs> <Sorry>. Rob. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Okay, go um, on. I, I guess he walks in on that, like, asshole, kind of rapey producer who's got the toupee. Because then he walks in on him and he's like, oh, <laughs> rearranging the toupee. Which will later get knocked off by the kid's dart gun, right? Right. And that's the guy um, who is the producer who's brought... Uh, brought the French actress with yes. him. Because she's got a screen test with him in the morning. Indeed. Well, I mean... She doesn't yet, and then the whole thing is he's going to have her play... Well, later in the film, she plays guitar for everybody and, like, impresses the colonel. Mm-hmm. And then now he can get approval for a screen test and this and that. Oh, right, yeah. Okay, that's what's going on. I was wondering what was up with your mic. Now, let me it. cut in here and say that, like, we're talking about all these plot points, but what I want to stress, and not save this until after we've described everything is a lot of this isn't strictly plotty. It's very... There's something innovative to this sound design because it's a lot of just, like, overlapping dialogue or snippets of things you kind of hear. It really is like being in a party, and you're just getting, like, little pieces of stuff as you... Because this guy is just, like, moving across the entire physical space of this party. Like, is basically what happens. Like, until the dinner scene, it's just him kind of moving from one section of this house to the other, meeting anyone who he happens to come across, you know, walking across this river and the stepping stones and getting to the parrot cage. Well, yeah, him, we'll get in, we're going to do what's it all about, but I'll tease that him as an outsider is just sifting through all these various different groups. Which is what I would do at a party where I don't know anyone. It's like, well, I'll just uh, check out the space, I guess. But most of them uh, treat him with you know, general oh, general disdain uh, until uh, he meets, uh, you know, the Claudia Longinet's character, which is Michelle. Well, I don't know. There's also something, like, very non-judgy to, to everything. Um, like Go on the and talk a little nice bit. I'm going to fix your mic situation. Oh, sorry. Keep talking. Uh, so the cowboy is very pleasant to him. I think he That's has true. generally... Pleasant, if bemused, reactions from people. Yeah. Thank you. I had my mic wire under my arm. Yeah, I mean, eventually the cowboy's nice to him. Uh, you know, once once he tells him he's a fan. That's true, because at first it's like, oh, I'm trying to flirt with this girl playing pool, and you're kind of horning in. Even though, even then, it's that politeness thing where he's just not saying anything. It's like, oh, this guy's still talking to me? He's kind of... Creeping, 
he's like up in my space. But yeah, okay. but, but then he tells him he's a fan, and, and you know, that's a statement as well, which is like, uh, people aren't really going to know why you're here and not be interested, but if you give them a reason, and one that they like, then, you know, they'll be perfectly cordial to you. Yes, how to survive at a party by being a pleasant person. Indeed. Uh, so, uh, I'm sorry, where were we in the plot synopsis and this and that? So, so he's just met the French actress. He has caviar on his hand, which he needs to wash off. Um, and one of the uh, reviews I was reading said something that the next time I watch this I want to pay attention to, which is that essentially because he shakes hands with the guy before he can wash his hand, um, the caviar makes its way across the party via handshake and actually gets back to him. So he ends up with caviar on his hand again, mm -hmm. which is like <laughs> very inventive. Um, and someone makes a, a comment, like someone's like, well, who was that guy? And someone gives a good description of this character, which is like, he's a nice man with a completely unpronounceable name. <laughs> yes. I believe that was uh, uh, the Michelle character who says that. Oh, wait, who's Michelle? The French one? Yeah. Oh, she says it. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, so during all these things, like, you know, he gets mud on his shoe, and maybe he'd like to, to wipe it off mm -hmm. in the bathroom. Yeah. But he can't get to the bathroom at that point. And then he gets caviar in his hand, and it's smelly, and maybe he'd like to go wash his hands in the bathroom, but he can't get to the bathroom at that point. And there are many times where he'd like to go to the bathroom, but it's always occupied. And by the time he does get to the bathroom to wash the caviar from his hand, the caviar that he put onto some other guy's hand has made its way back to him. Yeah, it, it's just escalating shenanigans. Um, I was just teasing the fact that he hasn't gotten to the bathroom this entire time. Does he never go? I, 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 not until the end. Oh. Or not until the, the set piece where he finally makes it to a bathroom. Oh, okay. The whole yeah. thing is, is that he can never get in there. Yeah, good party joke. So then, it's time for dinner. It's finally, we should finally have dinner. And the problem is, because his name wasn't on the guest list, there isn't actually a seat for him. No, they didn't plan on having this. I mean, first of all, he didn't have a date. Everybody else came as a couple. Uh, yeah. Um, including uh, somebody who we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, this one older guy, who's probably a movie exec, mm -hmm. and his wife who keeps drinking too much. Oh, yeah. And, and she's delirious and thought there was something in her in her martini. Yeah, uh, even though it's empty. Even though it's empty, yes. Yes, you're correct. And then, so they have to seat him basically on like a tiny bench that is so low that his chin is level with the tablecloth, pretty much. Yes. And and he's very confused by this strawberry soup, which I would be too. I've never had strawberry soup. And also I will say about that that it has the interesting thing of, of putting him in a position where he's almost kneeling uh, or, yes. or sitting on the floor. And, you know, him... The whole idea that, like, he's the foreigner mm -hmm. and he's beneath them. There's that symbolism, but there's also just, like... But he's from India, were they? In like, <laughs> it's 1968 after all the Beatles have gone to India. Uh, true, true. Right. So, but there's that kind of imagery almost. Also, his his uh, his chair is eyeline with the <laughs> the lady who's drinking too much and boobs right there. And so, in this scene, I believe this is where 
the like inventive sound design thing I was talking about, they really are like, no, no, like we mean it because we don't get a lot of discernible conversation around the table. It's mostly used for atmosphere because this is when my favorite extended comedic gag in the movie, the drunken waiter, comes back. Yes. And so you're just hearing bits of like, of conversation, and this drunken waiter is confusedly making his way around the table. Uh, he's giving salad to people with his hands. I don't know. Could, maybe you can describe it in more granular detail. I don't think it needs to be granular. I think it's summed up in the excellent shot that we see multiple times, which is every time he goes around the table and does something and delivers whatever, he screws it all up like he puts a, a wine thing through the lady's hair and he's like pouring the wine through her hair and he just kind of brushes the hair out of the way and pours it through her hair. Yeah. He's got the cork <laughs> in his mouth that he's <laughs> he, he, he smells it and he's doing the snifter, like smell touch, yes, it's okay. Like, he smells it to see if it's okay. You're supposed to hand it to the person who oh, yeah. get the first pour. Um, and then every time he goes back in the kitchen, his boss, who's the head of the catering crew, is getting ever more frustrated and pissed off with him to the point where, um, essentially, it's, it's just when you lean forward, ready, you tug the wire. Oh, out. yeah. <laughs> um, I'll figure out a solution for that at some point. Um, Go on. Eventually, we have this great shot, which is him sitting next to the lady of the thing and the swinging door to the kitchen behind him. So and, good. And so when whenever the drunken waiter goes back, you get a... This door swings open. and Swing. He's eating salad and off he's the head waiter's shirt. Right. The head chef's shirt. Door swings back and close again and then open again. And Chef is strangling him. Chef is strangling him. And then the door swings close and open again. And then he's doing something else to the chef and so forth. And, and we get, like, constant set pieces of just the drunken guy going around the table and fucking up. And just the swinging door of how he fucks up when he gets back. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's like a very slow camera uh, exposure. It's just like, and the door opens. And this is happening. It's, it's just a good way to, in one shot, have cuts. It's excellent. It's so funny. Um, it's fantastic. And ladies and gentlemen, if it seems strange how much, you know, as much as we do a plot synopsis on this show, I, I'm sure you've noticed we're doing a lot of this happens, then this happens more than we would normally. And no, that's about, a, that's well, about what we well, do. Well, let me just say, as much as we're describing, like, all this physical stuff happening, there is, like, five times more of it. This movie, something physical is always happening, um, which is what I think is great about it. Well, also, I mean, in doing it, we've kind of uh, started to cover what's it all about a little bit because all these things have little. <laughs> you you heard that? You heard that sound? Little rat feet. Little. Yes, they all have little rat feet pitter pattering upon the overall arc of this film. But yeah, I think we've covered most of the the party banter and this and that. Let's cover the relationship and the, uh, the third act heightening of, of stakes All and right, conclusions. so here, I, I can do this because I'll tell you what happens next. So, so we eventually end the dinner scene, and that's where he's like, oh, I, I'm going to apologize to these people because like, I've created some, some nuisance. Because at some point, like, because his chair is so close to the door, there's like an accident. Um, and so he feels responsible, and the cake gets, like, shoved into the chef's chest, 
which isn't his fault. It's all the well, drunken Yeah, waiter. he stands up and hits the cake. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he, so he's involved. And so he's apologizing, and both the hosts, the producer and his wife, are like, it's fine, like, go enjoy yourself at the party, which is, like, funny. Because it's like, as much as they have a right to be mad, it's kind of the attitude of a party. It's like, eh, stop bugging me. I'm, I'm trying to get my vibe on here, dude. But he's a very polite man. He's a nice man. Exactly. In trying to apologize to the producer, he gets his tie caught between the producer's arm and the couch. <laughs> and, oh, which leads to, like, th- I lost my shit here. Because in trying to yank up, he eventually gets free and, like, falls backwards and gracefully dances across the stepping stones. Right. And then a moment later, the drunken waiter just skips the stepping stones and wades across the river. Yeah, he's just like, fuck that. I'm not going to be able to walk on those ones. <laughs> because then a minute after that, he goes back across the stepping stones and the waiter crosses his path once more. <laughs> but we don't even have to see the waiter waiting. We just see that the waiter's head is much lower. <laughs> exactly. It's good. It's such good physical comedy. Uh, and so this brings us to having to go to the bathroom. Yes. He's got to pee badly. Yes. He's got to go. So he goes... Outside of the space of the party, he goes through all. He's going through the rooms in the house. Just he gets caught in the sprinklers. Yeah. Um. Well, that's eventually. Oh, that's eventually, he does. First. Oh yes, I guess that's true. He goes outside and he's like, maybe there's a an in-law or a mother-in-law, uh, like out back here. Actually, I'm sorry. He doesn't have to pee. He has to poop. But <laughs> um, that's right. Yeah. Uh. No, he has to pee. Oh, okay. I thought he. Never mind. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, he has to pee, and he goes outside, and he gets soaked uh, by the sprinklers and so forth. And um, then he comes in soaked by the sprinklers and watches... Uh, uh, he watches the French Michelle one perform her song. Play good, play which is very funny, because I think that's like, I really need to go, but I, I can't be rude. Right. i got to hear the song, because it's such a good song. Uh, written, oh, this is a good time to throw in that we've talked about two frequent collaborators in this movie, right? Peter Sellers and the director, Blake Edwards, who work together a lot. The other guy who is constantly working with Edwards and who is a big name is the composer, Henry Mancini. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who wrote uh, Moon River. Yes. Uh, and yeah, he did. He's, he's a big, uh, great director. He's very, like, swinging 60s. No one... I think channels like the vibe of a 60s party quite like this guy Mancini. And he, and he also wrote this uh, song, which I forget what it's called. It's like Nothing to Lose or something like that. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I recognized it when it played over the credits that it was the same song as what she played. Yeah, I think it's called Nothing to Lose. <laughs> okay, so, and then he listens to the song, but then he's back trying to find this bathroom. He's in the kitchen, and he's trying to explain... That he has to pee to this Japanese chef who's washing dishes. So he points at the spray nozzle. But all the Japanese chef can think is like, oh, yeah, it's, it's neat, huh? Yeah, it's a spray nozzle. It works real good. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you want? Uh, he finds that the band, I for, we forgot to mention there's a, you know, a jazzy band that's been called in to play music. And they're all smoking reefer in a closet. Yes. Uh, the chef is in his underwear because of his kitchen mess. Yes, he's going anywhere he can to try to... Uh, so he's going through all the rooms in the house. And, and also there's like a matron in the house who I guess is like, 
probably in charge of the staff and so forth. Yeah. And, is, and, is, uh, and this is our first introduction to her. She doesn't play a big role, but she kind of like whips everybody into place. He goes through the son's room, who's just like shooting darts at everything and this and that. that. She's like, there's that dart gun coming back for us. Um, there's a, a small, floofy, yappy dog. Yes, who keeps, he keeps ending up locking himself in somewhere because the dog's barking. The matron comes in and, and shoots him off. But he eventually gets to the master bathroom. He does. And he finally gets to pee and relieve himself. Because remember, and that's, so like, that's what made me go, oh, he doesn't have to poop because in this scene he pees. But he mm -hmm. flushes the toilet and it keeps running. It does. And he's like, what's going on? And it, just, it keeps running. Uh, so then he takes the lid off the toilet and tries to check it out. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, the painting falls down into the toilet. And then he goes, oh, no, I better dry this off. So then he unrolls the toilet paper, but the toilet paper roll just keeps rolling. Such <laughs> an Edwards bit. <laughs> until, until the whole thing's done. And then eventually he starts wiping off the painting, but he just ends up smearing all the paint around. Um, <laughs> and then the, at this point, uh, he accidentally knocks off the thing and it, it makes it clunk. A piece of plaster falls off the ceiling downstairs, goes right through the drummer's snare drum. <laughs> who, is, who is sadly continuing to play the snare drum just by hitting the rim for the rest of the picture. <laughs> um, <laughs> then, um, the, so now the bidet next to the toilet is it's shooting water. I'm not, sh I'm not quite sure how all that happened. I think he just fiddled, and because he, he fiddled, fiddled there's just water, water everywhere, and the matron's going like, who's in there? Who's in the head? <laughs> like, like, she's almost like... Uh, I don't like a I don't know like a really butch drill sergeant lady yeah, in curlers. I guess she runs the house. She, she almost seems like m military background or something. She's just like, who's in the head? <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and at this point, the kid's running around, and she puts him back to bed and puts everything back in order. You know, uh -huh. she's she's the Nazi head of the staff, like the person you have to listen yeah. to, I guess. She's running that upstairs real well until. Until Rundi fucks up that toilet. Exactly. Then he goes out the window, off the roof, and into the pool. Uh, yeah, so as not to be the one uh, blamed for fucking up the toilet. Exactly. And then he's in the water, possibly drowning, or he just can't... I think he's fine, but everyone's like, oh, they, they rush to help him. And then Michelle jumps in the pool. Yeah, which I thought was going to lead to one of those everyone in the pool sequences, but... No, there's not one of those in this movie. There's just a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, oh, okay. Well, There's most I figured we'd just get to that part oh, later. Yeah. I, was, I was not trying to bury the lead. <laughs> no, so, I was trying to bury the lead. So the cowboy and the French woman <laughs> help him to get out. And he's, his clothes are dripping wet. And he's finally convinced to do the thing that he's avoided doing throughout this movie, believe it or not, which is to drink. At, with all the insanity Well, no, they happening. force it down his throat. Yeah, they force him. <laughs> yeah. To, they pour a bunch of whiskey in him. And so you kind of get this sequence where he's behaving like an excited little five-year-old and the cowboy is trying to get him into dry clothing. He's like, no, 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 you can't. You can't take my pants off. <laughs> uh, but he eventually gets put into a little little onesie, a little nighty-night, jam-jam onesie. Indeed, and it's very cute. And, and he uh, he cheers up the French actress who's sad. 
Well, yeah, she's, well, okay, so I guess we skipped the uh, quid pro quo uh, sexual harassment bit, which happens right before We did, that was in the, the upstairs. Pool. Yeah, so she was upstairs when he was upstairs in the bathroom, and, like, the movie producer, whoever, after she's played guitar for everybody, is, is like, yeah, you got a screen test tomorrow, and I'll just come, on, come in here, sit on the bed, and blah, and this and that, and uh, then she says no, and then, like, then he tries you know, to pin her down. He tries to pin her down, and it. it, it but it, he uh, uses pretty. the kid's blow dart. dart oh yeah, that's right. He he kind of steps in on that sort of thing. He d two pays. Right. Then he falls in the water, and then so forth and so on. Then he goes and cheers her up. Then he comes in, and he's just like, "Well, it's time to leave, and you're leaving with me. You came with me, you're leaving with me." And he's like, "Look, look where I come from. Like, if she doesn't want to go, she doesn't have to go." Yeah. So. I mean, that's, again, like, the sort of, the outsider is, is imposing, you know, the morals of wherever they're from and going like, no, look, we don't, you don't do things like that. I don't give yeah. a shit what, what the uh, status quo is here. Like, no, she doesn't want to go. She wants to stay. So she decides to stay. All the time, this guy's been trying to figure out who this guy is. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I know, I know you. <laughs> Uh, anyway, you look like a guy who might uh, ruin a motion picture. Yeah, he cheers her up. Uh, I mean, at this point, like uh, everyone is is uh, getting progressively more and more yeah. fucked up. Everyone's <laughs> loose. the The second band has just arrived, which is like a Russian. Well, the Russian ballet ballet dancers are coming. <laughs> They're playing like a version of the Volga boat song that sounds like it's on crack. I don't know if you know that one. That's the like. But this one's but like it's all very jovial. A waiter takes a shot again. Go, Brady, go, go. It's just anarchy and sped up Russian music and dancing, and everyone's having a great time. And then the kids show up. The kids finally come home. The kids of swinging kids of the colonel and the. I've been calling him Colonel. Is it Captain? Colonel, he's some yeah. sort of military. He's a movie producer. That guy. Um, yeah. So these teenagers. But the daughter and and her brother, and he's just like, "Mom's having a party. I don't think we should do this." She's like, "What better time to freak him out? We'll have a freak out thing." Yeah. The, these flower kids, of of rich parents. Uh, these rich well, flower. They're kids. college kids who have who have yeah, signed on to the whole sixties. Uh, they're into the sixties. So they're into the freak out, and and they bring a painted elephant in. A painted baby elephant comes in with them with a uh, go naked painted onto his butt. And the world is flat painted onto his face. Yeah, and Socrates is wrong or something <laughs> on one side. You know. So <laughs> we're going to get into how like the one thing that might have like fixed the obvious the one obvious problem with this great great movie is like is the brown face. This is the one moment where the script uh, at least tries to proffer an argument of why they wanted an Indian character, which is, he's like, wait, this is, like, disrespectful. Like, these are sacred animals in my culture. Like, you can't just... And like, well, you paint on elephants, right? He's like, yeah, but you've painted, like, slogans and shit. You've got, like, the earth is flat painted on them. Like, yeah. you got to wash this elephant off. Right, so they wash the elephant off. They give him a big bath. In the pool. You know what happens, though, in wacky movies where you use A suds. lot of soap. 
Too much soap. Everything is covered in suds. Possibly exacerbated by a flooding toilet somewhere. The jazz band guy still playing his broken snare drum. And a house that has a river running through it, for fuck's sake. People, what did you think would happen? Yes. The cops eventually get called by the colonel. The, the wife who's throwing the party has a nervous breakdown and gets put in a straitjacket and wheeled out of there. Uh, the band, though, one of my favorite visuals is just, like, the bubbles encroaching on them slowly. Yeah, and they're just still playing. Like, whatever. The drummer especially just looks sad and matter-of-fact, like, I'm paid to play this drum. This drum doesn't even work. Like, you think they'll pay us extra? I think we're not getting paid. <laughs> well, at least we got stoned. <laughs> And then, uh, by the end of it, they're just listening to rock music on the stereo. Yeah. Um, the, the husband is saving all the paintings from the encroaching bubble bath, uh, except for the one of his wife. Not the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is not important. Put it back on the wall. <laughs> That's right. Um, and uh, morning comes. Morning comes. After, after the, the youth and, and the generation of freak-out hippie people... Uh, kind of co-op the party and everybody gets on board. Uh, yeah. the, the, the relays are hit. Uh, people fall in the pool when all the little dance lords get retracted and yeah. all the stuff happens. And then, as, um, as he said to her before, it's just like, you know, if you don't want to go, you don't want to go. Stay for the party and I'll drive you home in my three-wheeled... Uh, Car little, of sorts. A little tiny car. <laughs> exactly. Nice like zippy 60s. The thing. 1968 uh, version of whatever Steve Urkel's car was. Yeah. In Family Matters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a tiny car. With one door. With, with one door. And it's a convertible. I, uh, think it, yeah. I think it's not convertible. I think it's just a topless car. Okay, it's just a topless <laughs> car. It, it, you can't convert it into a car with a Oh, roof. right. It's just... Yeah, it is. This is what <laughs> it is. Exactly. It's a chop top. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, um, you know, he, he narrowly escapes the producer who shows up to be like, it's him, it's the guy that ruined my thing. He's the, like, Bye. The cowboy gives one of his Stetson hats, says, you're a good dude, dude. He takes yeah. her home. He gives her her hat and says, I'll be back for my hat later. Yeah, yeah, like a move where he can come back and ask her out. Exactly. And he's like, well, why don't you just take your hat now? It's like, no, I might no, need you the need hat later. Uh, you need the hat. Might. You take it. And yeah, and he, he drives off down the road. That's it. Indeed. So, I guess the next thing we do... <laughs> we, we, we did a great job, Brady. We, we wrapped up that, uh, that in record time, uh, you know, only... 52 minutes for that plot synopsis. Only 52 minutes to plot synopsis <laughs> well, a 98-minute movie. A bunch of that was probably just us trying to figure out the audio beforehand. Yeah, and we did a little bit of prelude. But That's uh, okay, though, because no, now we don't have to talk about it later. But here's what we do now. Hey, 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 how do we like it? Hey, Brady, how did you like this movie? Jesus Christ. Um, given what I knew what I was getting into with this movie is like... I'm going to say it's one problematic element. It's only got one problematic element, right? <laughs> I don't want to minimize what that element is. I would say it has two, but uh, you go ahead. So, so here's the thing. I appreciate Blake Edwards a lot, but I haven't seen... I've only seen one of the Pink Panthers, and it's the first. And that's not like 
that's neither the worst nor the best of them. So I haven't seen the You've best. You've only seen one. Band. How do you know? Uh, you know, if reputation... Uh, <laughs> yes, I, no, I, I gathered that. I was just busting your balls so, a bit. So I've loved one Edwards movie, and that's Victor Victoria, which is great. Uh, I love that movie. It's really good. And everything else I've watched of his has either been like B or B plusy, but I do like him. I mean, Breakfast at Tiffany's is a great movie that I think is legitimately harmed by its racism because like it's unlike this where you have a dimensional character in Brownface, the Mickey Rooney character in Yellowface in Breakfast at Tiffany's just serves no purpose. He just exists to interrupt the movie with with bursts of racism against Japanese people, which is like a great, pretty great movie otherwise. This one, I'm happy to say at the very least, Hrundi F. Bakshi is a dimensional character and he's not played mean-spiritedly. I'm not going to let it off the hook for that brown face, but I'm going to have to asterisk this one for a second. If I set that aside, what do I think of this movie? I think it's kind of ingenious. I think it's great. Um, so I've given this movie an A minus. I've already added it to my Oscar project list back in 68, you know, put it in for its year and I'm giving it an A minus with just that asterisk of like there, you probably could have done this without, um, cause Maddie and I were talking in the family room and she proposed the alternative, which is, well, keep the Indian character, but get another guy. But I think because of the physicality of this, and because of the quality of their working relationship, you wanted Peter Sellers to work with Edwards. So I think it would make more sense to have him be like Borat, say, and just have him play Eastern European. And you could still do, if you really needed that explanation about the elephant, it could have just been like a basic like, oh no, that's like kind of mean-spirited. Like, he's just a baby elephant, let's wash him. Like, I don't think he needs to be Indian. So there, I've said my piece on that. This is, I think, a work of comedic genius. I think, and I'm going to get into the movie that kind of inspired it, or movies, and like kind of its place in a very physical mode of comedy. Uh, but I'm just going to say I, I love this because I had no idea it would be this cinematic, and which is why as much as I think these scenes are nice, the, the two scenes I don't need that much are the kind of sad scene with the French woman and then the kind of romantic ending. But but people want, you know, a little promise of love, well, amour. Yeah, no, it had to be but, gone. <laughs> but what I don't need that much of in this, other than, like, the jokes, this is at its best when it's almost dialogue light and it gets better the more physical and anarchic it becomes. And in that regard, I think it is brilliant. Uh, so yeah, so I give it an A minus. Th this is and just like packed, packed with like the most inventive visual gags. Uh, I think of a movie we covered that I didn't like, as you know, um, but that like you said this about Project X, which is just like the the fun of just sheer escalation, escalation building upon escalation. Can't and, go any further. Oh, okay. yeah, and the only natural endpoint is just like eventually. Just everything exploding, which in this case it does in delightful sudsy bubbles. Uh, so I love that. I love that about this. And I think it, yeah, it does that better than Project X in my opinion. And 
just like manages to top itself, has great comedic set pieces. Anyway, I've gone on. I'm repeating myself. I, I dig this, man. A minus. It's a great movie. Yeah. No, I give this movie an A. Oh, my God. Same as I gave to Godfather. <laughs> Finally, another um, A. As far as... Okay, I was going to touch on this later, but I guess since you touched on it, I'll touch on it the way I was going to touch on it, which is the brown face thing. Um, I think perhaps it's my problem, but uh, maybe it's the problem. I'll say the problem with brown face mm -hmm. is the idea that you're casting uh, a white actor and painting their face and taking a job away from somebody, you could actually just hire somebody in that place. See, but I, um, well, I'll let you go on. If, if in you do that and then you also have a, just like a, a massive overstated stereotypical characterization of this character, that's an additional problem. Um, that doesn't apply to this movie. That wasn't done, get, even given the time. Mm -hmm. And the other side of it is, Yes, there is the problem of, hey, why did you have Peter Sellers play an Indian actor? Why don't you hire somebody from Bollywood to do it? And I'm going to give this film a, uh, you know, what's the word for it? Uh, relative pass on that. Because in 1968, that just wasn't done. This is how you fucking build a movie. You have this person and this person. Those are the two actors. And... They're the stars, and this and that. Like, that wasn't Hollywood in 1968. Hollywood in 1968 wasn't that good yet. So there's a relative thing, which is in 1968, you couldn't do that. It's the same thing I said about Ace Ventura. Terrible framing now when you look at it with all we've learned over the past 30 years. Um, but at the time what was accepted then and stuff was kind of what was going on. So 1968, almost 50 years, what is it, 53 years? 53 years ago. Mm -hmm. Like, um, the whole, well, we should just hire Indian actors. This film wouldn't have gotten made in that system then. So, like, I'll give it a relativistic pass on that note. And then as far as did it portray this person in a cliched, like uh, making fun of them sort of way. No, it, as you said, was a dimensional character Which who, who was yeah. wholehearted, good, build as good, not build as stereotypical. It, 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 he didn't even have to be Indian. He could have been Russian. He could have been Japanese. He could have been Irish or, or whatever. It was just the idea that he was an outsider, which was pivotal to the plot. Now, I do think that they picked Indian for a particular reason because it was 1968. Peter Sellers had very strong ties with the Beatles. He was very good friends with Ringo and George Harrison. Mm. And the, the whole idea when they were writing it was just like, oh, we could turn this whole thing into a, a bit about what's going on now and this and that. So India worked better than anything else. And really the whole conceit and conception of oh, okay, well, we shouldn't do Peter Sowers then, <laughs> and we should hire somebody from India. It, that was out the window in Hollywood in 1968. Yeah, I hear you. I think, I think you need Sellers. I, I continue to insist that this guy didn't need to be Indian, but here's what I think. I think you can at least not... I do not give this a pass, 
but you can look at the circumstances of what makes uh, brown face bad. Now, I think well, that's the reason yours got demerits from A to A minus, and mine was just a straight A. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I think, you know, certainly ameliorated by the fact that strangely, like, God, especially strangely, given what I was thinking I would see before I entered into this, I think this is the most recognizable human being Peter Sellers ever played. I don't think Peter Sellers' gift was a kind of, like, actorly subtlety. His characters are often, like, brilliant caricatures, but kind of caricatures, right? Like Dr. Strangelove well, and the president. In between our viewing and when we're doing this, I was talking with Jed about it, and he was... They were. He was talking about how deeply he had to embody all his characters. In Strange Love, they wanted him to do five characters. He got to about three and just said, "I can't contain this level of." Yeah, and he, no, he's brilliant in that. He should have won Best Actor for Doctor Strange Love, but like his thing is not like playing just like a normal dude. And uh, for all that he's bumbling, and for all that they're making fun of him having this unpronounceable name, as they say. Harundi Bakshi's main thing is he's just a very nice, thoughtful person. Uh, and the insanity, the lunacy, is just like Hollywood itself, almost. It's just like the absurdity of this physical production space, how this place looks, the fact that it has a goddamn river flowing through it, and then just this kind of bemused, gentle soul trying to move through it, which I will get into because... Well, it seems like we're already there, so what's it all about? Continue, what's it Brady. All about? <laughs> we're on that segment now. <laughs> um, see, this is where... Oh, wait. I will also finish and say... Yeah. Because of all the great physical comedy uh, mirror, uh, mirrored with the great production design and, and the way it all came together and the way it becomes a thing at the end. That's another reason I liked it. I, I didn't really get to get to why I liked it. I was, oh, sorry. I was discussing the caveat, but that'll cover it because we'll get into more of that when we're doing this segment. What's it all about? Go on, Brie. <laughs> What's it all about? Um, I mean, at the deepest level, which almost doesn't feel necessarily like the right lens to apply here, but if you want me to be like, is there like a deeper thing? I think the deeper thing is it's about the 60s. Um, and it can be seen as a metaphor for the looser and more liberated values of the 60s, which, you know, at this point we're well into, but I guess Woodstock hasn't happened yet, right? That's in 69? Right. So we're still, like, in the heyday. And so it's Edwards being like, woohoo, guys, like, I'm all for this. You're, you know that I'm, like, the wacky, like, let loose guy. That's my directorial stamp. Um, and so I'm going to use something that's very much in my wheelhouse but I'm going to get more revolutionary with it and make it m even more freewheeling and less plotty. And it, it can kind of be seen as a metaphor for like, let's open the party up. Let's everyone just kind of vibe together, which is exactly what happens at the end of the movie. Rich Hollywood, you know, more conservative types and their uh, liberated flower children who have come home from their night uh, smoking weed. Uh, can all kibbutz together and, yeah, let's just have society be one big... Let's tear the walls down. Because this is a movie that's about kind of, like, tearing the walls of the movie itself down and of this party. And that can be seen as a metaphor for, yeah, just letting loose on a, a societal level. Well, I mean, yeah, I entirely agree with you. I think that's that's the what's it all about of this movie. It uses a structure like Hollywood. It, it, it enters with 
a film about India in 1968 and colonialism and this and that. Oh, mm -hmm. but that's all a Hollywood facade. And, and this person isn't fitting into the structure of what the person in charge, the director, is outlandish about. Blah, blah, blah. Somehow right. he gets invited into the back scenes, the inner circle. And just, again, him being himself, him being an outside influence, uh, creates chaos. Just, he's not even doing anything. <laughs> he's just walking around trying to fit in. And um, that creates chaos. And then that chaos is escalated by something that's even completely out of his control. Has nothing to do with anything that he's doing, nothing to do with his bumbling or anything. It's just the cultural revolution that's going on in society at the time comes home to roost to these people and you know there's even an, a, con a congressman there mm -hmm. like uh, they're, they're using Hollywood as this structure that uh, is, an, is an old world and you know the bad movie producer who's trying to do the quid pro quo sexual harassment like you're gonna get that screen test tomorrow and I sit down here on the bed yeah. this thing so forth and so on I mean unfortunately as we know the 60s happening didn't destroy any of that. No. But that was the cultural idea at the time is that we are going to. And so, like, this film bringing in all of that and, and creating this Dadaistic fantasy bubble bath by the end of it where everybody who's involved, whether they were part of the establishment or whether they were the youth who came in from the outside world, um, ends up destroying... This house, all the art, all the everything, uh, also, you know, kind of just the guy's disdain towards the party that his wife has to throw in the first place, and the fact <laughs> that he doesn't want to take her painting off the wall shows how much of a sham all of the posturing and trying to put forth this, this stuff was in the first place. Right. So, yes, I think that's exactly what it's all about. <laughs> it is. It is about that, yes. I but, I mean, yeah, you've got all these confluences of the 60s, the India, French girl... Uh, rock and roll, freak out, um, all those things. You know, this this was a prescient. Is that the word for happening right now in the time? Uh, sure, uh, prescient more means like you're predicting the future, right? But I'd, well, I'd say timely. Yeah, timely. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Like you know, th this was commentating on what was happening when it came out, and. Uh, it's interesting because that movement was moving so fast between 66 and, as you said, Woodstock came later and in the 70s was an Ultima, after Altamira. Um, but, like, to just plop right in the middle of it. I mean, what? It probably took two years to pre-produce produce and, and make this movie. Yeah, and in that sense, it's doing something that I love, which is... And I don't like to pigeonhole directors. Like, a, a director can always their next project go and do something radically different and uh, many great directors have multiple modes you know like take martin scorsese uh, like because i i've always bristled at this thing where it's like so he's about like masculinity and mob it's like sure but then you're ignoring the fact that he's also got this private thing about religion and sometimes that's what he's looking into so directors can look into different things but i love when a director like is at the peak of their voice. Like, what, what is, when we look at the whole of their work, what is this director about? And in the case of Edwards, he's not a deep director, usually. What he's about is what we already talked about. Whiz-bang, lunatic, Looney Tunes-ass fun. Just, like, the walls popping off. My favorite scene in Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is kind of this melancholic romance, 
is a party. It's just Edward shooting a party because he's great at it. And, you know, there's insanity going on. And at one point, someone accidentally lights someone's wig on fire or something. Or, like, lights their cigarette on someone's burning wig. Just, like, that's what he was good at. But in this case, I do think you're right. He's found a deeper application for what he was always about. But this is, like, using that to really plug into something that, that's very poignant in, in a way. But always funny. Because at the bottom, at the end of it, the only reason I didn't want to get, like, too theme-heavy is this movie is to be experienced for its physical pleasures. Because it is goddamn funny, and everything is just about using this physical space. Like, the stepping stones, and the waiter wading through the river. Just, like, the way he basically touches every part of this house. Like, that was the concern. It's like, he's got to go everywhere. Like... Well, I mean, yeah, again, that speaks to my point of the the outside influence that's kind of shining the light on this crumbling facade of this this thing. It's like, no, it's every facet of your life. Um, You know, there's this young boy who just wants to to play and shoot his dart gun and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, he's, he's got a part to play, too. You know, uh, yeah, there's there's this uh, this matron woman who wants to kind of like shut down and keep order in the house, but uh, she doesn't even have control. She doesn't even know who blew up that toilet, and she can't get into the head. Yeah, she is the only one who can control that dog, though. That's true. The only one the dog will listen to. And and the dog, I don't know. Like if we were to draw a symbolism onto a terrier, would be <laughs> the um, you know canines. You've got one. I've got one. They like habit. They like things staying the same. They don't like changes. Ah. So perhaps this barking dog barking at this foreign person coming in to touch every room of the house and eventually leave it dis- not rot out of destruction from what he did, just these are the ideas I put forth, but rot out of the progeny that you created who went off to college and came back with the elephant like, listen, I'm a dog, and you can't understand me anyway. I just got this feeling this house is going to flood tonight. Like, yeah. somehow... And, this and then, of course, the mother has a nervous breakdown because of the literal elephant in the room. You can think I'm just a yappy conspiracy theorist, but I have a premonition this fucking house will be filled with bubbles by the end <laughs> of the evening. <laughs> get, get out of here. What are you doing? Okay. Yeah. Uh, should we go away and do understudy? We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway. So try to catch the actors, try to guess the movies, tweet us at C A R N Y Couch. This game called understudy is happening. Happening, happening, right now. So, you're the one who's been sending me those articles from your school newspaper. I'm the one who's been doing some stuff for a local underground paper, too. What are you, like the star of your school? They hate me. You'll meet them all again on their long journey to the middle. Well, your writing is damn good. It's just a shame that you missed out on rock and roll. I did? Oh, yeah. It's over. Over? Over. You got here just in time for the 
death rattle. The last gasp, the last grope. Well, at least I'm here for that. Hmm. What do you type on? Smith Corona uh, Galaxis Deluxe. You like the new Lou Reed? The early stuff. Their new stuff. He's, he's trying to be Bowie. He should uh, be himself. I'm not a big Lou fan. Yes, but if Bowie's doing Lou and Lou's doing Bowie, Lou's still doing Lou. If you like Lou. Take drugs? No. Smart kid. I used to do speed and sometimes NyQuil and stay up all night writing and writing. Like 25 pages of dribble about, uh, you know, the Guess Who or Coltrane. Just to write, you know? With the music blasting. Me too. The writing part. Well, all right. It's been nice to meet you. I'll see you around. Keep sending me your stuff. Okay. See you. I can't stand here all day talking to my many fans. So anyway, you're from San Diego, and that's good. Because once you go to L.A., you're going to have friends like crazy, but they'll be fake friends. They're going to try to corrupt you. The publicists, the bands, you have an honest face. They're going to tell you everything, but you cannot make friends with the rock stars. Cannot make friends with the rock stars. That's what's important. If you're a rock journalist, first, you will never get paid much, but you will get free records from the record company, and they'll buy you drinks. You'll meet girls. They'll try to fly you places for free, offer you drugs. I know. It sounds great, but they're not your friends. These are people who want to write sanctimonious stories about the genius of the rock star, and they will ruin rock and roll and strangle everything we love about it. They're trying to buy respectability for a form that is gloriously and righteously dumb. And you're smart enough to know that. And the day it ceases to be dumb, that's the day it ceases to be real, right? And then it will just become an industry of cool. Industry of cool, Cat. And that's what they want. And it's happening right now. I'm telling you, you're coming along at a very dangerous time for rock and roll. The war is over. They won. 99% of what passes for rock and roll now. Silence is much more compelling. It's over. I think you should turn around and go back and be a lawyer or something. Hmm. But I can see from your face that you won't. I can pay you 15, no, 35 bucks. Give me a thousand words on Black Sabbath. Huh. An assignment. Yeah. And you should build your reputation on being honest and unmerciful. Honest, eh? Unmerciful? And if you get into a jam, call me. I stay up late. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch. Yes, everybody, that was understudy. Typically, we're doing actors. Sometimes we're doing characters. You should tweet us which character or actor you thought each of us were doing in that last scene. And also, hey, what is that scene? And what movie is that from? You know? Yeah, uh, I, I would like to know. Indeed. Okay, so we have thoroughly covered this movie. Do you have other things that you want to talk about? Well, there's the whole thing. And this is kind of by way of... Uh, Introducing one of the movies I'm going to suggest for next week, but 
what this movie, its inspiration, um, is a man named Jacques Tati. You know Jacques Tati? I know that name. He's a Frenchie. Um, really? It, yeah. With a name like Jacques. <laughs> no, it's, it's Jacques spelled Z-H-A-K. He's <laughs> Czechoslovakian. Jacques. C-Z-H-A-K. Jacques Tati. Uh, yeah, Jacques Tati is a man known for doing kind of what this movie is doing, where he's known for this character, uh, who is very much like our Hrundi, uh, a guy named Mr. Hulo. He's a tall, nice, bumbling man. Except, you know how I was saying in this movie, I liked how there was kind of minimal dialogue except for the jokes? In a Tati movie, there's basically no dialogue at all. Or from the one that I've seen anyway. Uh, and so what it is is almost kind of a sim universe. Like, there's sound. It makes great use of sound. But the dialogue, or the sounds being made by human beings, isn't about its verbal content. It's just about the sound of voices interacting, of silverware clanging, dishes breaking, whatever's happening in the scene. And so you've got this character who's kind of a bumbler making his way through a world that he like sort of understands, but sometimes he comes across stuff that confuses him. You know, kind of like Rundy messing with that uh, fireplace adjuster. He's like, well, what is this? It couldn't do harm just to adjust a button. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, no. I let some woman's ass on fire. And, and much like uh, Edwards in this one, and what we decided is one of the big themes of the movie, it, it's very much about playfully kind of dismantling these structures and these ideas of, like, technology and how society's very rigid. And you've got this character who just kind of breaks stuff. Not meanly, but just by his very existing, things get a little funny. Um, well, yeah, things get funny because they're all messed up and an outsider can't deal with them. Uh, yeah. And, but then the thing is, though, a lot of the characters around him don't really seem to care. People just kind of go about their business in this funny, fucked up, leaking world. Well, yeah, there's the question of... So, I mean, we mentioned it earlier that, that like, you know, somebody's got a Cornish game hen on their head. And and, uh, cool. <laughs> and like just nobody notices that, that the thing flew off his plate and landed on her head. Of course, we the viewer notice because it looks rather odd. Now, is it that um, this system's broken because everybody's checked out and it's a and it's a, a point they're trying to make with that, or is it just you know that it's funnier that way? Maybe it's a little bit of both of those things, and I think maybe it's probably the latter. But it just has the. The thing where they go on with what you're going to say. I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, no. Well, it's, I think it is those things, but maybe, like, also, and this is kind of a Tati thing as well, is, like, the positive way to see it is maybe it doesn't matter. So, like, you think, like, oh, my God. Like, here, I'll put it this way because I really like this. The chicken on the headset piece. The next thing is he gets the drunken waiter to try to remove it, but he removes her entire tiara and her wig. Now, any normal American comedy, what happens next? I'll tell you. The woman, maybe we pause for a bit and it's funny, but eventually she sees that, like, her facade has been messed with and she screams. That never happens. She never notices that her wig is gone, is never embarrassed by it. So the humor is just like, and things just continue on. Um, 
And that's right because the facade of her tiara and all that just didn't matter in the first place. It doesn't matter. And it, it just made her feel better, and, well, she's not looking at herself in a mirror right now, so... And no one else is re- really cares if she's wearing a wig or if her hair is actually brown and not blonde. And so, like, it's a very positive and whimsical way of looking at societal conventions breaking down. It's like, it'll be fun. Those conventions, like, you don't actually need them. Um, and it's a lot more fun to see stuff burn... In a nonviolent way, of course. It's <laughs> playful burninating. Good. I, I like I like your version of that. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, that, that's the one thing I wanted to acknowledge because this guy Tati, who like Edwards, loved to just like build a big set and then like set actors loose in it. Like part of the fun for these guys was building these like elaborate worlds, like. This house is such a great space. This party house is, like, one of my favorite. Well, yeah, that was the whole thing. I was just like, I'd like to have a party like that. Hmm, this house doesn't have that much space. There need to be able to be little pockets of people. And In fact, that that living room's probably bigger than, like, my most favorite bars where people can have that sort of conversation. Yeah. (laughs) I might be reaching here, but I think, and this would make sense because it's very space-age 60s in its tone, I think Incredibles 2 even riffed on the party because they move into this like new or they have to like rent a new house mm. to chill in and it's a big fancy house and it's got those retractable floors and so all the furniture goes into the pool. Yeah, you're just saying that because that sweatshirt you're wearing. Ah, uh, yeah. I am partial. I, I have been uh, compared to Mrs. Incredible because I have a, a giant ass. All right. Well, it's been a while since we've done a Metacritical. <laughs> do you want to do it? I don't know. Where are we on time? Uh, we've we're, we've covered our, our quota and more. <laughs> That's the only reason I ask. Uh, well, fuck it. We can make we it We can longer. do it. All right. I, uh, like, to Let's be honest, it would have been fun to do Metacritical with uh, guests that we've had on before, but, you know, I was just managing the, you know, the, the new logistics of, of having guests uh, phone in that way without just holding them up to a microphone. Uh, um, yeah. So... Next next time we we'll have a guest, we'll we'll include them in in, in that. But I I, th- I think it'll be I think it'll be fun. This will be fun. Okay, how do I do Metacritical? Oh yeah, I click on Metacritical intro, right? Mm-hmm. Metacritical. Rob's never gonna win. Hey. Metacritical. Brady's the victor again. So it's time to play. I'm gonna lose today. Metacritical, yeah, it's time. Time to play. Oh, yes, Metacritical, 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 where we try to guess the Metacritic score of five films. Five films. And then we total the scores, and the person with the lowest number, well, uh, I'll guess, and then. It'll be like, Rob, you were off by five. And Brady will guess, and it'll be like, I was off by one. And then we'll do that five times, and then the lowest score wins, right? Uh, yeah. All right. I'm going to go to metacritic.com slash search. That looks like metacritic.com. All right, Brady, why don't you pick the first movie? All right, I'm going to try one. You got like pen and paper for keeping score? Uh, I'll need you to do that this time. Yeah, pen. Uh, okay, let's try a Blake Edwards. And here's what I'm going to have you do. Because uh, this is a title that's very generic in a way. Uh, 
I'm going to have you, when I do this, type in Blake Edwards and go to the person. And hopefully, because it's one of his most famous films, it's listed. Um, and if not, I'll come up with another movie. So the movie I'm going to do is 10. Uh, famous for that shot of like Bo Derek running slow motion on a beach. It's kind of like a Randy uh, comedy about a, a guy who's older. Does she have cornrows? She does. Oh, yes. Okay. I know what you're talking about. It's about an old English dude lusting after a young woman. With cornrows. With, with cornrows. Yes. You Wouldn't gotta, work without you, the cornrows. you got to have some cultural appropriation or else you, gotta just you <laughs> just can't do it right. Yes, indeed. Okay, so you want to take the first guess on what 10, uh, what its score is? Is it named 10? I haven't seen it. So is it named 10 because she's a 10? Yes. Yeah. And what year? Ooh. It's like late 70s, early 80s. Interesting. Dudley Moore. I don't know if you know him. He's like a, a short... Little British actor. He's kind of like a British Billy Crystal. All right. He's very winky. I'm going to think of what I think it should be, and I'm going to subtract 20 and add 8. So, 7. That seems high. I'm going to subtract 20 and add 6. So, uh, thing above her. 68. 68, okay. Now... I think the general public likes this movie more than I did because I found it good but squicky. But if I had to say, I'm going to go like kind of down the middle with a 75. Just good enough to be like, hey, it's all right. Okay, it's there's good. not too much of a spread there. Uh, okay, so should I type in 10 or should I type in Blake Edwards? And Blake Edwards. Because 10 will give you like 10 right. things I hate about you and how to lose a guy in 10 days and 10 ways to... 10, year 10. Blake Edwards, game, movie. Blake Edwards. Uh, click on the person. I'm trying to find the person. Blake Edwards, the man. Um, here, I'm just going to go to movies and try to find 10, T, N. Okay. Oh, no, it's the number. Oh, okay. But I'm searching movies. Oh, maybe I'm not searching movies. Oh, you're up at the top. I think you need to be in the, the white search bar. There is no white search bar. Oh. Ten. Oh, no. Okay, I need to filter it after the fact. Got it. Ten. All right, let's, let's, let's do it your way where I go... <laughs> this is really, really great pod here. <laughs> this is hot content. Well, you fucking picked a... <laughs> a 40-year-old movie. A 40-year-old movie that's, um, you know, not a thing. Okay, so I've, I've now searched for Blake Edwards. I can't... No, you can't search that way. You can't search by person. What? But they have a whole person thing. What is that? Any of those? Him? That's him. Click on him. It says game, movie... Let's just see what he ends up. Okay. Uh, spinning. No, it's oh, spinning. It's spinning. Spinning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Blake Edwards. Okay, here we go. 
Got it. Come on, fucking Jesus Christ. There it is. Ten. Sixty-eight. What? Really? Yes. I hit it dead on. I'm at negative wow. five out the gate. Okay, I, I like this. Subtract 20 and <laughs> 6. Damn. Okay. All well, right. Do you want me to tell you who else is in that movie? Maybe you can... No, I was thinking Bo Derek makes me think of uh, someone on the beach in a bathing suit. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go with The Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah, yeah. She is, uh, her beach is made of scale, or her swimsuit is made of scales. Yes. And then she's naked. All right, what do you think The Little Mermaid is, Brady? Little Mermaid, I think it's very highly regarded. I'm going to go with an 83. All right, well, Little Mermaid, I would say, is a 92, so I'm going to go with 72 plus 6, 78. 78. That seems low. That feels low, but also Metacritic is historically low. <laughs> yeah. So. I gotta get that bullseye, man. Little Mermaid. Did I spell Mermaid wrong? What's going on here? There's just a lot of littles. Little Mermaid, 88. Woo-wee. I had a feeling What'd I should've you say? gone you high. You said 70? I said 83. You said 83, I said 78. Yeah. Okay, so I just lost my five-point lead, and now we're even. We're not even, because your five-point lead doesn't account for my being seven off last time. I think you're ahead by seven. No, you were just off by seven more than I was. So here's what you got. You got a five, ten, minus five. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Uh, and I've got that a five-point lead was a zero plus Yeah, you're ahead by seven. Plus, yeah, exactly. I'm off whatever. I'm up whatever you're off. All right, Brady, your turn. Your turn. I got Ooh, a good thing going here. Let's see. We should I, um, because I like the newfangled Metacritic that's adding old movies, so it's kind of fun. So here's who's in Little Mermaid playing the role of Scuttle, is like old timey actor. Is it? Wait, no. Look at. Does it have Fatty Arbuckle? Do I have that right? Fatty Arbuckle was long dead by the time Little Mermaid. Never came mind. Out. Who is it that? Tell me who's in this. Do, Do I who, have to? Who plays Scuttle? Just be like, who plays Scuttle? And if it tells me the new movie stuff, I'm going to shit. Well, now we've got dead air. No, <laughs> don't, no. Don't you have a fucking It's fun? not dead air because I'm going to shit. Well, keep talking. Okay. You're going to shit? <laughs> well, if, if they give me remake cast instead of OG cast, I might. In the bathroom. <laughs> Good. Much Keep it in the bathroom. Don't pee on the couch because it doesn't want to eat shit. It wants <laughs> us to eat shit. God, I gotta it. figure out what Scuttle is. Oh well, what he is is a seabird that Buddy Hackett. Buddy That's who you're Hackett. thinking of. Wait, okay. but Buddy Hackett's the right person anyway, right? Buddy Hackett wasn't he a band leader? No, no. Anyway, I don't care if this is right or wrong. I'm going with the Music Man. Which I think has Buddy Hackett in it. All right. The Music Man. The Music Man. It's uh, my turn to guess first. It is. Um, well, what year is that? 78? I think it's like 60, late 60s maybe. Oh, shit. I'm Mid way off. Mid to 60s. Oh, Music Man, not Sound of Music. Which not is Sound also of Music. Late 60s. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, Brady... 
when we started this, I was <laughs> I was the person who'd been to film school and knew things and stuff, and and you've continued educating yourself, and I started working <laughs> outside of my passion, so I know fucking nothing anymore. Um, late sixties, Music Man. Uh, that's not Fiddler on the Roof. No, that's uh, there were birds on the hill and blah, 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 blah. so. Now I'm distracted by the preview for Little Mermaid. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, naked Ariel, go away. <laughs> Rob's trying to think. Stop looking at your feet, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> uh, it, it'll be nice when this is on the screen for everybody <laughs> so they can see There's what I'm Scott seeing. <laughs> There's uh, Buddy Hackett. All those things are true. Um... <laughs> What the fuck? Uh, what am I trying to do? Guess the... <laughs> music Man. <laughs> music Man. This It's not even a trailer. It's just like the naked scene. Play the <laughs> naked scene with the bird. <sighs> yep, still naked. I'm going to look away. I'm going to look and see how the audio looks. The audio looks good. That's audio good. Audio looks good. All right. Titillating children's <laughs> movie. <laughs> M- music Man. Music Man. Baseball. Cold showers. Uh, <laughs> Wobbly, um. wobbly like she just <laughs> went in the drink. Okay, uh, and now it's an advertisement. Done. You're safe. New now. money goals. New money goals. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, music man, fucking seventy-two. That seems like a good guess. I'll go with. What do I think music man has? It's really more about getting the bullseye than. Whatever the points are. So let's pick a good one. Music Man, let's go 67. 67 for Music Man, says Brady. I said 72. Let's see what it really is. God, every time I move my arm, make some noise. Maybe Music Space Man? Uh, yeah, The Music Man, if you want to get... The Music Space <laughs> Man? The Music Space Man. The fuck? Now I got no... Do I have a phone? I could phone it. No. So maybe something's going on with our internet. I don't know. Murphy's. It's not in there. Well, it's very old. Yes. All right. So pick another one, Brady. Okay. I'm not distracted by naked mermaids anymore. (laughs) That's good, man. I'm, I'm proud of you. Yeah, come out the other end. That yeah, that's like looking at Instagram suggestions. It's like too young. <laughs> yes, too young. Mermaid. Eey. Okay. Um, all right. I happen to know through the podcast I listen to because I, I can't I can't work with the actors in this. Like I could do Rene Arbuthnot, but he hasn't been in that much that I know. And the stuff that I know he's in, I know the scores for, so that won't work. So let's go with the directors. Of Little Mermaid. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and I know they also... You can just pick anything, you know. <laughs> I know. I try to stay topical. Um, like an ointment. Uh, this was going to be just a quick little one It was going to be a quick. quick. <laughs> and now it's a two-hour <laughs> podcast. So I'm going to go with the movie Hercules, which directed by the same team. Hercules. Hercules. All right. That's from like 2000? Ninety-eight. Yeah. Okay. Um, Maybe ninety-eight. Hercules. No, I think it's ninety-seven. 
I think it might have sixty-three. Okay, sixty-three. I did all my math in my head that time. Damn it, that's a good guess. I'm gonna go with a fifty-nine. All right, Hercules. You're not supposed to guess so well. Seventy-four. Oh Jesus! I didn't know it got that good reviews. That's that's all right. I picked up. uh, Is that the right Hercules? Yeah, there he is. He's all cartoony. Yeah, picked up eight points on you on that then. You did, or you picked up four points. I'm going to go with Dark City. Ooh. Sam Raimi. Uh, hold on, let me... Yeah, and also just because we were talking about Jennifer Connelly smashing mirrors and standing on piers last night. Oh, shit. This pen is getting all Here's bleedy. Here's another one. Oh, it's getting bleedy. Okay. Uh, okay. What, do you want a ball point? No, no, it's fine. I think it'll work itself out. Just write bigger. Okay. So... Hercules. So, wh- what are you gonna do? Dark City. Oh yeah, Dark City. Uh, and I go first. Yes, I picked nah. the movie. <laughs> uh, seventy-two. Seventy-two. All right. Is this the third or the fourth? The third. I, I thought there was only one. Oh, third it's the or fourth, fourth movie. It's the fourth movie. Fourth. Okay. So seventy-two. Uh, Brady says Dark City. Minus Seventy-four. Okay. I think you're gonna win this one. You think so? Uh, yeah. In fact, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for the sweet release of it's death. It's been a while. Uh, 68. Ah. What'd you say? 72. What'd I say? 74. Ah. All you right. So two points on me there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really good. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let's see. Let me do some math before we hit the last round. Okay. 19. So I'm at 31. And you... But you can pick the last movie. I can. Now, I don't know who's in Dark City, so that's going to be tricky. Uh, okay, so I'll have to go with the director. Wait, no, I don't Wait, even know the Jennifer, director. Jennifer Connelly and a bunch of bald people. I'm sorry, I'm dumb. It's not It's not Sam Raimi. Sar- Sam Raimi made Dark Man. Yes. Uh, which I think is a movie you told me about back in the day. No, I don't think so. Oh, no, you told me about the one with the Wayans brother. Which one was that? He was also Requiem for a Dream? No, it was like something man. Was that Marlon? Who was in... I thought it was a Wayans. Who was Wayans in Requiem for a Dream? He was uh, Jared Leto's friend. He ends up in jail. Oh, okay. Yeah, what I okay now I we'll talk off air about what the hell you're talking about because I know that I know what you're I know what you're trying to say yeah like Marlon Wayans as a as a dramatic role it's like Flash Man Blank Man I don't think it was any of those um, <laughs> go ahead pick a movie he's a man's man okay Jennifer Connelly Jennifer Connelly what's the one with, with her and Matthew Broderick in the supermarket overnight in I the don't Target know overnight. I don't know that one. I'm gonna go. Oh, fine. Let my let me die on this putrid hill. A beautiful mind. Ooh, a beautiful mind. Smash that mirror. Smash that water glass. Uh, I got a guess. <laughs> Smash it on a beautiful mind. Uh, what year was that? It was like ninety-nine. Two thousand and one. Some bitch. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Ninety-nine and two thousand one were like the same. Long year for me. <laughs> Best picture winner beat Lord of the Rings and In the Bedroom and Moulin Rouge. If you're into Moulin Rouge. All right, ninety-two minus twenty plus six, uh, seventy-eight. 
Come to you. Okay. And I'm gonna go with a. All right, look, 78. Got to look at these point differentials. Okay, I'm going to go with a 68. 68. Oh, you only pick up 10 points. I'm picking up on you more than that. You're up on me by 9. Oh, I see. <laughs> oh, 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 oh you, you, you did your math correctly. 72. Shit, you did it. That's the end of Metacritical. What are the final scores, Brady? Hold on. Let's see. 72. Read them out nice and slow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is In a sultry good. voice. <laughs> okay. I would say take it off while you're doing that, but that'll <laughs> fuck up the mic. So <laughs> I'm happy to do that if it's what you want. I mean, you can take <laughs> off your then pants. No one will hear and me. <laughs> and it, it would be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Da, 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 da. My <laughs> score is a 35. Yours is a 28. Damn, Stop those are both lows. In the news. <laughs> hey, we already have what? a song. I don't know why I'm singing yeah, it. Yeah, we one. got. We got a, I'm gonna record that for, uh, you know, for. Rob just <laughs> won the game. A metacritical in your face, Brady. In my face, verily. Verily, verily, verily. All right, it's that time of the show when the show is over and it's time to pick up... Uh, but, rebirth. next. It's time to propose a new movie. Yeah. This Shit, is, it's exciting. keeps going up. Oh, it's oh. sitting on the damn thing just, again. Just, every podcast must end, but we end every podcast with the promise of a new beginning. And... What will that beginning be? Uh, it comes down to a weird toy and cost game we play. How's but that first, work? Well, we like shoot fingers. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to suggest uh, being there being for next there. week. Another Peter, Peter Sellers. Sellers. Uh, th I think it's the only movie where he just plays a straight up serious role, right? No. <laughs> I, by which I mean, no, he is not playing a straight up serious character at all. Yeah, but he's not being slapstick. Okay, I haven't seen it. I want to see it. Yeah, well, you you may see. It's a very heightened performance. Well, all of his performances are heightened. Um, yeah. Anyway. Okay, so being there, that's my suggestion. What's the suggestion from you? I'm suggesting, because I already talked about it earlier, I'm suggesting a movie that is a total cousin of the party, called Playtime. And I've suggested it before, I think, a couple times in years past. Ooh, I like that. Second suggestion for me is Night of the Comet. Which you have suggested a, a couple times, I believe. I think I've got a running <laughs> go with it. Yeah. Okay, and then I suggest one more? Yes. Okay, I'm going another way with this. And here's the appeal of this one. In addition, in addition like Michelin, in addition to being a great movie... Uh, it's very short. It's like only an hour long, basically. So that that could be fun. It could really untax our taxed brains. And I'm picking it because The Party is one of the best parties I've ever seen filmed. And another movie that came out this past year... Spit it out, Junior! <laughs> also has one of the best parties I've ever seen filmed. It's 
Steve McQueen's uh, second part of his five-part Small Axe trilogy. It's Lover's Rock. All right, I'll put up playtime. Okay. Rob, I'm normally polite. I might have to do this just because I like... Oh, we got to throw some more movies up there. <laughs> no, okay, fine. I'm doing Lover's Rock because I want something that builds off of God the party. God damn it, I, I shouldn't have put a bean there. Then. Fucking non-reciprocating son of a bitch. I'm, I always reciprocate. I'm sorry. And, and now I'll have to do penance for a year at least. So, shall we? Understood. Okay. Understood. Even odds. Odds. Okay. One. Two. two three. Shoot. It's you. It's me. It's playtime. It's playtime. It's, it's playtime. your movie. They were both my movie. Because I'm an asshole. I know. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, I think we're only getting better and better as I... Continue to upgrade. Sorry, it's been so long since I posted the last one, but um, here we go. Here we go. Who was mentioned? Uh, Fallon Hansen. Fallon Hansen was mentioned. Also, I mentioned somebody who I said I. Oh yeah, uh, Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izogman. Izogman. <laughs> Fallon Hansen theme song. <laughs> Carnivorous couch. It happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous Couch with Brady and Rob. <laughs> Music Man, Music Man, Baseball, Cold Showers.